Welcome to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM, brought to you by Riverbend Seniors Community. When you live at Riverbend, you will feel right at home. Well, Sharon, we're back. Oh, we made it through. Yeah, for our last show this year. Yep. 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 This year. Yes. (laughs) This year. And so our, our... guest for the last show of the year is one of our favorites yes donna flood hello donna flood hey how are you doing good happy holidays yeah happy 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 Uh, you survived well you know what it was very different but you know people are saying that they actually really quite enjoyed their holiday and the slow pace and no stress so, you know what, sometimes I think the universe makes us pause a bit, and maybe not a bad thing for some of us. I was thinking that on the way in, you know, um, the universe always has a reason for these things, and uh, maybe it is for people to take time and, and think about what they're doing well and what their future is, and um, stop, like you say, the fast pace. Well, yeah, and I think if we all don't just take time and pause and sort of figure out what have we learned, mm-hmm. um, then we really haven't, you know, done much, right? No. Um, we just really have to figure out what we learned from all this because it's been pretty devastating for a lot of people. I th- Yes, uh, uh, so many people out of work, so many little businesses, those are the ones that are hurt the most. Well, our own Jubilee Lodge, oh my gosh, you know? Yes. So many people we love in the community that have been hit drastically. Yeah, yeah, that was really tragic. Um, and so, um, I don't really want to know, but I guess I got to ask, who won the damned house? <laughs> oh, you know what? I was going to say, what a great thing I get to do is to give somebody a house, especially on Christmas Eve. Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> I know Rick Classen was the winner. Right. And then we also gave away the 50-50, $150,000. Yes. And I missed out on that, too. I didn't hear my name. <laughs> so I did I. Tammy McEwen got that one. So. Who was it? Tammy McEwen. Oh, cool. Good. Well, there's happy, happy people. And then there are those of us who are happy to support the hospice and what you're doing. And, uh, you know, when I buy my ticket, it's never about winning it's about where my money's going, and uh, it's going to help keep the hospice running. And I'm always happy for the person that won. Mm-hmm. I'm oh, not. You know I'm what? not. Um, <laughs> you're absolutely right. One of the things that um, is so important about the Dream Home Lottery that I sort of forget as we go into, you know, the complexity of it and the difficulty of running it and stuff like that is it gives people an opportunity to come back and tell their stories. Yes. When people are buying the tickets, oh my goodness, just to hear the stories of, you know, how much we supported a loved one or what the impact hospice has made on people's lives, that alone is worth running the lotto. Well, one of the things that you've got on your website is this saying, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. And that's Helen Keller. Yep. And and uh, and this is it. I, I was um, wanting to talk about the um, the one house that you've got, the Rotary House. 
and so the roadie house has got 10 um, guest rooms and I don't think people know each guest room's got a private two-piece bathroom and it's got um, the electric bed with a lift and then you've got a sleep couch in there as well haven't you Yep, well, this year, actually, um, last year we had a campaign to renovate Mm -hmm. the house, Mm -hmm. which, unfortunately, we haven't been able to show off with COVID. Right. But we've made sure that there's um, a lovely sort of hide-a-bed sleeping couch for, you know, a family member to always be at the bedside. Mm -hmm. The room is big enough to actually sit comfortably 20 people. Oh, my goodness. So that people can have their family there and you know, really just enjoy. The other thing um, which I, I think sets us apart and makes houses is, you know, just being able to sit in the kitchen with your family and eat. Yes, and and I don't think people... So our experience is a hospital room or our experience is a, um, a senior's home. And and the ho- whoever designed the, these rooms in the hospital, because you've got windows, every room has a window. Yep, every room faces out, and, uh, you know, in the summer we'll have bird feeders or different sort of things so they can watch. And, you know, because where we are by the lake, they'll even see the deer go by and mm-hmm. different things go by because we have the woodlot, too. So it is actually a beautiful a beautiful home for people to be in. Yes, and and uh, and it's it's a river, not a lake. That's right. <laughs> I caught that oh, yeah. too. River. River. You've been living by too many lakes. For, for me, it was Lake Ontario most of my I know, life. It's the river. <laughs> Down the river. And so I thought um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that part because we we go in and we buy a ticket and we go into that main building and it's beautiful, but I don't think um, we know and. Uh, about the rooms and how they are set up to uh, invite the family to stay. The, uh, someone can stay overnight. You can have as many guests visiting as you want. There's no time limit on your visiting hours or or the number of people. Like no, I mean, we have a little bit of COVID restriction now. Oh, right now, uh, yes, but, yes. But ordinarily, and I think that that's why I think people are so thankful for hospice, is because it's made for our guests, mm-hmm. but it's also made for all of their families. So no one comes in feeling awkward or unwelcome. It's almost like the whole house embraces people and brings people in and just cares for them, whether you're a wife or a daughter or a granddaughter. It mm-hmm. just really is set up to care for everybody. And you have um, toy boxes, uh, children's playroom in the rooms with a, with a TV. Um, I mean, th- this I haven't really examined that part of it as closely as I did for this little discussion because I thought, yeah, we know about the, the fundraising and everything, but we don't know how welcoming the rooms are to people. And the family can come in and the dog or the cat can come in. Oh, absolutely. Well, you I don't know if you go through our Facebook, you'll see where someone brought their kids in. Bring your kids to hospice and a yeah. whole bunch of the little tiny goats were in for the day. <laughs> <laughs> And they were all just jumping around, visiting, and oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. They're so funny, those little kids. Oh, aren't they ever? <laughs> they really oh, yeah. are. So, yeah. and 
Um, the other thing we have, which is unique, is we have a family room. Mm-hmm. And that's a room that, let's say, my mom was in there and my dad was staying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came in from Toronto. Mm-hmm. It's this place for me to stay close at hand so I don't have to go to a hotel. Yes. Um, the, the, the expenses when someone's dying financially, it is a huge hardship on people. So if we can say... You know, stay in our room, eat yep. with us. Mm-hmm. What a burden that takes off. Yes, and um, there's just a small um, user fee, and then they pay whatever they can afford. No one's ever turned away. No one ever gets turned away for money. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that people um, don't know. I think uh, what we talk to people about is the raising the funds, how much money you have to raise, uh, and uh, but we don't talk about that service. Like the, if people could just imagine these rooms with all the windows that you can have your darn family in there, you can have the kids running around <laughs> or children. <laughs> yes. Oh, and and you can sit and have a whole you know meal. Yes, together. Yep. You know, and so it's not that, you know, you have to sit and watch or your person eat or, yep. you know, everybody sits together and helps themselves and there's always food on our counter. Isn't always it, food isn't on it our wonderful? Counter. There's no restrictions. It's sort of open-ended and uh, there's no, the hours are whatever. If someone came in from Toronto, they could come in at 3 a.m. and uh, someone would be there to help them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that's where, too, Sharon, I really have to give a shout-out to my staff. Mm-hmm. My staff are incredible. You, if someone wants a grilled cheese at 3 in the morning, they will make them a grilled cheese. Mm-hmm. They do the, the, the care aids, do all the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry, plus the caring and the personal yes. care. Yep. The RNs are there. They're experts in their field. Um, the house, you're absolutely right, is beautiful, mm-hmm. but it's those people in there doing the work yep. that really are who um, shine the light on hostess, for sure. And then you've got the garden and, and the patio and the bench seating, and you've got a gas barbecue there, too. Oh, yeah, we'll often have um, families out out in the back barbecuing and, and sitting and um we're hoping to expand the garden this year. We've got a little uh, serenity garden in mm-hmm. our woodlot that mm-hmm. uh, Cedar School looks after for us. Oh, neat. So people can just go in there and just um, find some solitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year we put the tent in as well, which yes. we'll probably continue with, mm-hmm. to just allow people to gather again in a safe way. Yeah. Um, and then we're hoping to actually uh, start creating some community programs in our garden um, oh, maybe yeah. a, a healing garden so people can come and yeah. you know help with grief in a garden yeah planting herbs. or men in their yeah. grief so yeah yeah that's a that. good idea and uh, one of the things um, I read a long long time ago about this family that planted a tree for every um, family member that passed and um, I did that. I did that out where I live right now. The problem is the beaver decided it liked the trees <laughs> yeah. that I planted. Oh, that would have been heartbreaking. <laughs> I know, but I love the beaver too. I just have to plant something the beaver doesn't like. But, That's right. Yeah, but, but I, that, that, what an awesome idea. Yeah. 
you know, um, it, it, it's uh, heartfelt memories, right? As yep. you watch the trees grow or the orchards mm-hmm. expand, mm-hmm. but at least there's memories. Yeah. Well, my dad and my mom and my aunt and my uncle and my cousins, they're still out there. Uh, the recent deaths... Um, I plant. I went and planted poplars. I didn't know how popular they were with beavers, but the the birch they don't seem to like too much. But I, you know, so I can go out in my garden and and sit there and talk to the trees, uh, that old song. But they're really my dad, my mom, and everybody. They're that, all gathered around that's me. Beautiful. I love that. I, I yeah, love that. I I do too, and you know, someone could plant in the garden. A plant um, in memory of someone who's just passed, and uh, make sure they're they're perennials, so that well, they come up every year. Absolutely, you know. So, so we're looking at different ways just to really open up our hospice so people feel welcome and really, mm-hmm. you know, understand it better. That um, you don't just have to have someone that passed in the house. Yes. Be part of the hospice family. So now tell me about this other th- stuff, healing touch and massage and reflexology and and some chiropractic stuff now. Can I come over for that right now, please? I know, you know what? We do. Um, we, w- the staff do partake, I'll tell you. Their favorite day is when the masseuse comes. Yes. And, uh, they all go in and get their own massages as well. That's great. You no know, happy staff, happy guests. But yes, yes. People in the community are very generous. People with talents and training will come and offer their services. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times people will come in who have maybe been in the hospital for months. Yes. Um, and just want their hair washed or trimmed. Yep. I've seen people, you know, especially men that will come in um, with their hair long and beards. Well, that's not how their dad looked. No. So someone comes in and cuts their hair and shaves their face, and then all of a sudden they've got their dad back. Isn't that nice? You know, so um, you can't have a hospice without a community that's incredibly generous, right? It just doesn't happen because uh, Donna Flood is there and her nurses. It is also the whole community uh, really makes hospice what it is. It is, and then I just sort of want to recognize uh, not only yourself, but some of the other staff. Uh, um, I see Shaw, Sean Smith is your uh, program director, and, and he kind of looks after things at Rotary. Does he, Rotary? Yes, house? he does. He oversees uh, the house and our programming. Um, he, he's, he's kind of a gentle giant type of guy, mm-hmm. but he's also been... Our eyes and ears, and was what kept us safe with COVID. He is an expert on everything COVID. Oh yes, he's um, a critical incident kind of a guy, isn't he? That's he his is. training. He's a risk yeah. management. Yeah, for sure. yeah. That's that's a, a bonus. Uh, because he looks after the grief and loss in the volunteer programs, as as Correct. I understand. Yeah, and then Anika. Um, She's got a really la, la chapelle, isn't? Doesn't la chapelle? Isn't that a hat or something? Oh, that's la chapelle, or maybe la chapelle. Yeah. Like it's, uh, or is la chapelle the collar? Maybe. It's <laughs> anyway. She's the finance genius. Oh, yeah, she's new to us. Uh-huh. She's our most recent, but oh my God, she's in like a dirty shirt. Mm-hmm. She's lovely, she's incredibly bright, 
Um, she just, um, we're such a, uh, she's such an asset to the organization. We're thrilled to have her. Yep. And then you've got the salty one, Briny. Briny Sazaka, is it Sazaka? Your project coordinator? Oh, Brittany! 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 <laughs> Brittany! Yes, she is. She's, you know she's saucy. She, um, she's actually she, she's, uh, recently married. She got married during COVID. Oh! I know. So it sort of changed her wedding plans, but I think yeah. um, on hindsight, she wouldn't have had it any other way. It was. You know, she had a nice, beautiful, small ceremony. She's the one helping us um, sort of develop what our backyard can look like as far as the man shed and the community program and, you know, um, just what what is that missing in the community that maybe hospice can do? Nice. So. And and Sandra Kim. Oh, well, everybody knows Sandra. She's our dream home girl, right? She gets out there and... Sell those tickets every Monday. She did a little video to keep us up to date and enthused. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. I wonder if she can sing. Andy Kim was a, is a Canadian singer. I remember him. Sad. I'll, I'll ask her. Well, I'll, she probably will. She'll <laughs> 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 do it. <laughs> and then, of course, Denise Targuson, um, one of our familiar faces that we know quite well and she does the community programs yeah she absolutely um i don't know if anyone um has gone through hospice and hasn't been touched by denise yeah i don't you know yeah yeah and then faye lehman i don't remember faye Oh, Faye is new. Faye okay. came to us during uh, COVID. Uh-huh. So she doesn't know hospice without COVID. So she's now in the house doing what Denise used to do. Yes, yeah. Which is supporting people and their families and that. Um, the psychosocial sort of side and just sitting and listening. Yep. Um, whereas now Denise is overseeing that, but also expanding to, um, you know, what else is it that we need to do? Yep. Yeah, so those are the ones that I saw on your Facebook, and I just wanted to acknowledge them and and to thank them for the work that they do. You've got the nurses, and you've got the doctors, and I don't know, what you're doing over there is pretty wonderful, Donna. Uh, so I have to uh, say goodbye to you, but I just wanted to thank you for spending this time, and thank you so much for to you and your staff for what you do for us. I will pass that on, and thank you guys for what you do and keeping us all informed, and hopefully when this is over, it'll be much more fun to actually come to the station. Yes, yes, and then we can come to the backyard and have a barbecue. Sounds like a plan. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. All right, all the best for 2021. All right, happy new year to both of you. Yeah, thank you, dear. Right. Adios. Love you, too. So this is Senior Moments. We'll take a short break and hope that our next guest is going to call in. Thousands of years ago, a story began. I am I am. A story that will never end because this is the story of God's love for us. He has risen. He is alive. Welcome to the Lamplighter Classic Audio Series. You are there. Now you can enjoy this Lamplighter Classic, You Are There together as a family. Lamplighter Theater, Sunday nights at 8 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
Prince George's newest seniors community is waiting for you at 1444 20th Avenue. Riverbend Manor offers a safe, affordable, and centrally located rental housing option. Rent is based on your income and includes three daily meals, all of your utilities, housekeeping, and much more. Riverbend has a jam-packed weekly calendar of activities to fit both active and passive lifestyles. Part of Prince George's leading seniors community, Riverbend Manor. Call 250-596-8097 to book your tour today. With community health at the forefront, Theatre Northwest is preparing for a shortened season. Instead of their usual four productions, Theatre Northwest will be presenting two shows in the late spring of 2021. The shortened season will start with a side-splitting comedy, Mum's the Word, from April 16th to May 5th, followed by the pop hits of the 50s and early 60s featured in the musical The Marvelous Wonderettes, May 21st to June 9th. Tickets and passes are available by phone or online through ticketsnorthwest.com. Forecast from Environment Canada for today mainly cloudy, wind up to 15k, a high of minus 5 with a wind chill to minus 13. Tonight mainly cloudy, wind continuing, the temperature steady near minus 5 with a wind chill to minus 11. On Wednesday, periods of snow, more wind, a high of minus 3 with a wind chill to minus 11. You're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Brought to you in part by Riverbend Seniors Community. When you live at Riverbend, you will feel right at home. Well, Sharon, in trying to get a hold of Todd Doherty, I kind of got two commercials in there. We should have been on instead of going to that next commercial. But I well, couldn't see that. Okay, anyway. so Todd, you haven't been able to contact him. I've emailed him, and I, I left a message, so uh-huh. I don't know what's happened. Uh, so, folks, um, we're going to have to wing it until um, Todd gets our messages. Yes. I think there's a few things that are really worrying me per, um, about our community and uh, about our province. And I think one of the most important things is that in November, I don't think anybody realizes this, in November there was 153 deaths from overdose in our province. And in November, in our province, there was 93 deaths from COVID. And so, um, you know, there's this huge... Uh, getting together to try to end COVID and to um, get a vaccine to try to end COVID. And uh, we have more people dying of overdoses than we do of COVID. Yeah, Not it's that actually I've, gone up. And I'm, um, I really think this is an important issue that we are not really talking about enough because... Uh, these are people that are overdosing on drugs. And so people say, well, that's their choice, where COVID isn't their choice. And uh, I don't think people understand why people use drugs and alcohol. Well, there have been some people that will take their life rather than be locked up because they can't participate with other people. Well, the people that are living on the street, if we if we go back to um, just before Gordon Campbell came mm-hmm. into being, we had the uh, we had the social credit people. Social credit people, personally, I had 
uh, interaction and I was president of a provincial organization then called BC Yukon Society of Transition Houses. Claude Richmond was the, the Minister of Social Services and Housing then and um, the, the transition house group met with Claude and gave him a five-year plan of, of um, ending violence against women and children. And Claude was uh, a man of his word, and he agreed to the five-year plan, and um, that is how we started the transition house movement and how we started getting more transition houses in the province. Then um, the um, the so the Claude and that group they kind of went into being um, NDP from social credit that went to NDP and then um, I forget who the leader was then and then Mr. Gordon Campbell got to be elected yes so prior to Gordon Campbell the NDP started shutting down a little bit the services that were in our, our province for people with mental health and addiction problems and those places were like Riverview, Essendale, Crease Clinic. Um, there was Woodlands for Children. There was a thousand acres uh, down in New Westminster with these buildings on them. They had over 4,000 residents in these buildings and 2,000 plus staff, working staff, professional staff. And the whole thing was set up to work with people with addictions and mental health issues. And they had the farm as well. And the farm produced tons of milk and eggs. And the farm provided work for a lot of those people who were um, challenged and couldn't have a job. So they became the workers in the farm. And... and uh, so then Gordon Campbell came along and he started shutting things down. Now, I was part of um, a, a community group in Quenelle uh, with the mental health and addictions group that sat and talked about when they're shutting down these beds, there's going, all, all the people that lived uh, in Quenell originally and were living in Riverview or Essendale, they were going to come back to their hometown of Quenell and have a place to live or at least a place closer to their family. So it wasn't just Quenell, it was where, where people came from all over the province yeah. that were admitted into this um, uh, Essendale and such. I think there was another, there was... Um, a treat, uh, a detox center there called. Uh, um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's moved into uh, Surrey or Richmond or one of those places. Maple Cottage, it was called, and that was a detox that you could go to any time, day or night. And we didn't talk about harm reduction then. We talked about total abstinence, and so total abstinence meant. We knew that people would relapse, but eventually they would work 
towards total abstinence. You, yes. You, this harm reduction gives people the idea that they can still use, and they are. They're using Suboxone and Methadone and, and different things like that. They're trying to wean them off. Yeah, but uh, um, it's hard to wean you off when you are you can still have that available to you all yes. the time. So Gordon Campbell eventually closed down all of those buildings. So 4,000 people all of a sudden. The promise to have places for them to stay near their home. Aim High is trying to do the best it can to provide home for that. But what I'm getting at is if you want to know who's on the street in Victoria, in Vancouver, in Prince George, in Quenelle, those are all the people, in my mind anyway, because we, I don't think we've ever done a, a, an interview with these people. No. Um, those are the people who are living on the street who were um, pushed out of those services. So not only did they s- s- shut down that building, but we in, in Prince George had a Nachaco detox. Yes. And we had a Nachaco treatment center. That got shut down. You know, what was the idea of shutting all these places down? Then we had a psychiatrist come into town who opened up methadone clinics. And he had two clinics, I think, in town where um, the addicts go and get methadone, even if they weren't on it before. He, you could go to him and get on methadone. So you could still stay in your addiction. Mm-hmm. But it was legal. Yeah. And so, um, and we had a wonderful drug and alcohol service in town. We had the treatment center, the detox. Jackie Stokes was the uh, regional manager for addictions. Every every so often, we all of us who provided service to people with mental health and addictions from all over, the North would come down to Prince George and have a training together yeah. so that we got to know each other. We got to know who was providing services up North. We got to have lunch together, training together. We learned um, all about the brain and the effects of addiction on a brain yes. and, um, and how it rewires the brain and that uh, people think differently, they act differently when they're on drugs and alcohol. And so, and that whole program was um, addressing addictions, mental health. We had a really good mental health service in town where you could go and have an appointment. We all knew each other. We could refer, we could talk on the phone to each other. And, um, and then uh, some people from uh, England came to town and they decided harm reduction was the way to go and that's when we got into trouble Jackie Stokes left us she went down to teach in a university down in uh, Kamloops or Kelowna one of those places mm-hmm. um, there's some wonderful people that I don't know where they are anymore that were working in the hospital in addictions um, we uh, could talk to detox. We could talk to the addiction counselor, all of that kind of stuff. All of that. So, all of that stuff has been changed, and I don't yeah. know why or how. And and so now we have more people dying 
of overdose than we do of COVID because uh, they changed from um, total abstinence to harm reduction. And so then we had the ch children, um, it was called um, WIC, and this was a treatment center in our hospital for women, infants, and children. So women could go into treatment because they could take their children with them and their children would be taken care of while they were doing groups and mm -hmm. all the things that were necessary. And, and that was a wonderful program because you're not going to get a mom who has addictions and maybe it's addictions from the doctor putting her on uh, some kind of pills that she becomes addicted to. Yes. Oxycontin is one of them for pain. Yep. And so the mom will go into the the treatment center if she can take her children with her. That's otherwise, just, otherwise they didn't. They wouldn't go. They don't yeah. want to leave their kids or have their kids apprehended. Yeah. And so that got closed down. So there's in our city right now, we have one treatment center that's out on Blackwater Road. It's for men. Bobby there is Hughes. nothing for women. And uh, and then people are saying, why are there people on the street? Because there's nothing for them. There's no place for them to go. Mm -mm. And we need places for them mm -hmm. to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, AWAC, they have a motel where people can go. Men and women can live for a year and, and find work and stuff. But that's only maybe 12 beds. It's not enough space mm -mm, for everybody. Mm -mm. And, and we're not the only city that has this province. Or this problem. Pro problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's all across Canada. Yeah. It's, actually, it's probably all over the world. It is right now. Um, and so um, I was watching a, a video, and people, if you want to watch it, if you want to get a look at the future of our city, if we don't do an intervention, watch Seattle is dying. Yeah. And Seattle uh, did a project where they felt that they couldn't charge people for stealing um, when they were living in poverty and they were mothers on welfare. And and so this, this came across to it wasn't gender specific so but if they're not going to charge them they've got to do something to uh turn them around and make them responsible yeah well what they've done in seattle is this one particular fellow um he had committed 147 different crimes and hadn't gone to jail for any of them uh, because he was living on the street and he was mm -hmm. homeless and he shouldn't be charged because of that. And so these are people who don't understand the people who are making these rules. There's no consequences to choices. So if there's no consequences to choice, why should I change? That's right, yes. And this man eventually, he raped a woman. He didn't get charged for that. And he eventually uh, killed himself because he could go into court, stand in front of the judge, and and say... Uh, he was looking for punishment. Well, yes. He, and the thing is about people with addictions, they say harm reduction is to do no harm, to do less harm. Yes. And, and uh, my uh, answer to that is, if you cared about yourself, you wouldn't harm yourself anyway. 
And so doing less harm is not, you're not going to get an addict to say, oh, uh, oh yes, I got to stop doing harm to myself. An addict doesn't like themselves. You need to teach them to respect themselves and to pull their life together mm-hmm. and work with them on it. And help them to find out that what other people told them that they were is not the truth. And, you know, when you start from childhood, and I've worked for 40-some-odd years in this, um, most everybody that I worked with was an abused person. Mm -hmm. They were... So my first training that I ever took was about child abuse. And they... A person cannot tell if that child has been sexually abused, has been physically abused, or has witnessed abused abuse. A child behavior will be the same for all of those. Yes. And so you don't know why the child is starting fires or why the child why why the child is is hurting animals. Yeah. Um, you need to get their confidence you, so that well, they will talk. They those children become adults and yeah. those those children have never had talked about what happened to them or, or as they become adults, they don't talk about it. And then some of them do to others, which was done to them. And um, and a lot of them are angry, angry, angry because they weren't protected. And so you've got the violent ones. And it's about understanding um, that most everybody that's in that prison is a trauma survivor. People need someone to talk to that will listen, to talk about what they've gone through so that they can heal. Mm-hmm. Because if they can't talk about it and bring it out of themselves, they're not going to heal. I think about our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers and and women back in the day where they didn't have a voice. Yeah. And and uh, what they went through and never were ever, ever able to talk about it. Couch and the men. the old man all the time. Yeah. And, and, you know, I did men's groups all the time that I was working in this field. I worked with the men, too, because I felt that men um, were just like us. We just had uh, a different gender. But we all wanted a family. We all wanted Mm -hmm. to be married. We all wanted to be happy. And so in a group of 10 men, um, I would say seven of them would talk about childhood abuse. Seven out of 10. And those men are expected to go to work have a family, be normal, don't yeah. cry, don't be a baby. And uh, it, it's amazing that people uh, expect men to man up and, you know, and... Uh, They're not allowed feelings. Yeah. And so then how can, you, how can you say that man has no feelings when he's been told not to have feelings? And they don't understand why they can't have feelings yeah. because they've never had it. One of the most interesting things that I, I learned was about um, when ch- my mom and children would come in uh, to the transition house and the children would be so mad at the mom. and uh, Because she took them away from dad? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Part of that or she didn't protect them from dad. 
one yeah. of those two options. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been a very interesting opportunity I've had to learn about people's behaviors. And I mean, I came in a time, and so did you, Judy, where people acted badly, they were bad. We didn't know that underneath there was an underlying reason for yeah. that action. And I was very fortunate with my parents. My dad taught us a lot of stuff on how to look after ourselves and, and how to trust some people. Um, like one time he'd come home for supper and he had stopped at the corner store mm-hmm. and there was a fellow out there wanted money to buy bread and milk for yep. his family. And Dad gave him money, and yeah. he waited until the guy came out with his bread and milk. Yeah. And he felt so great. He come home, and he was so proud of himself that he was able to help someone feed his family. So there's that old story about um, give a man a fish, and he will eventually be dependent on you mm-hmm. to give the man the fish. And teach a man to fish, and that man will learn how to fish and teach others to fish and be able to feed his family and a whole bunch of other people. And so we have services that cause dependency instead of teaching people how to be self-sufficient and self-reliant. And that was... uh, My job was... And I never saw myself as anything but a coach, because um, I've had all kinds of training and everything, but basically my whole training about working together and stuff was from playing sports and the importance of everybody on that team. And I, my world is seen through a team player vision. Well, we're all team players. and Well, we're supposed to be. Yeah. No, we're not, but we're supposed to be. Well, try I mean, to be. If, if you're... If you want to win the game, uh, you all have a spot to play, but you need to be able to flexible and adjustable. So that's what I brought with me into my work, plus all the training I had. And when I I said to the one professor, I said, "I, I can't do this. I hear you say, it sounds like to me, it's, you know, those kind of words. And uh, she said... Learn it for the mark. Develop your own style. And so my I, my father was a coach, and he coached me and all of the mm-hmm. the kids uh, to reach their potential. And that's what I feel that the job is is to help people see their potential. Well, and we were also taught that we're all equal. Yeah, our race, creed, whatever, we're all the same. Yeah. And and uh, I've lived my life that way. I tend to side with the underdog. Yeah, well, that's because you felt that way at one time. Uh, we, uh, One of the things that I learned was about empathy and being over-empathetic and also by seeing ourselves in other people. And, and the other person is a mirror. And one of the things that you do when you first start working in a field of working with people with trauma is they call it rescuing. And, and, uh, and for me, because I'm a trauma survivor, 
my first two years, I was rescue woman. <laughs> and when people would leave the shelter, I would cry because they were going back to, like I had to go and get training about separating yes. myself from the other person. And uh, th- and that they had a, a, a similar experience to me, but they aren't me and I'm not them. And, and that's, part of the, that's part of the, um, the training is because people burn out if they don't, if they can't uh, separate themselves from over empathizing and uh, wanting to take care of people and wanting to make sure they're safe. And it's like they say, don't take the job home with you. Yeah, well, it's about not putting your life on the other person or seeing the other person yeah. as you. It's very, it's, and people don't see that. Um, I had, I went and I took some really intense training about, you know, that person is able. And and then I started thinking about Rick Hansen and, and, yep. and about um, Terry Fox. Yes. And then I realized that everybody's able. Um, there's just limitations. In exactly. Some way, you, know. it, you don't use the word can't. No. It's like that young girl that was born with no legs. And her parents didn't want her. Well, a couple that took her never used the word can't. Yeah. She's a gymnast. Yes. Yeah. She worked and wanted to do that. And turns out that her sister is a top gymnast. Uh Uh-huh. And they found each other. Oh, isn't that nice? And, of course, the older girl didn't understand why the parents gave her away. Yeah. But it just shows that because the ones that brought her up did not say you can't do it she did it well that's why i like the the um olympics for the you know the the mentally challenged or, or the handicapped whatever they call or, them yeah, yeah yeah because it gives them an opportunity to prove to themselves that, that they can do they, it they can do it yeah. and i think that's the whole oh and it's so great and yeah. it's awesome to watch them isn't it yeah it, it really just, is yeah, and, you know, I'm so sorry Todd um, couldn't be here because I know he was working on a suicide hotline for the country. And, and I, I think th- it's in the works very much. Like well, the number is finished. 988. And so yeah. I wanted to talk to him about that to see if that was ready or not. And the other uh, thing is I wanted to ask him about the rumors about a snap election coming up. Yeah, know. I just seen that the other day. Yeah. Yesterday or the day before. Yeah. I'm, that must be pre- or federal election? Yes, federal. And so he, Todd was involved in researching um, holding an election during COVID. Yeah. So I wanted to ask him about that and and see what I also wanted to ask him about his granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a grandpa. Yeah. And then um he had he shared with all of us um that restaurant owner's um dissertation about uh, he stands and looks out his window and he's allowed 10 people in his restaurant and then he goes to buy his groceries at Walmart and there's people touching the food and people pushing each other and and people all um, checking out in a line and and 
and yet he's not able to have people in his restaurant. Yeah, he was comparing the two and what what the one followed and what he has to follow. Yeah. And and it's not fair. Well, life isn't fair. And, no. And like we said off air, I really don't know that anybody really knows what they're doing for sure. It's sort of like a, a, um, a trial. Well, let's try this. And yet, uh, it, and the, the, the worst part of that is it's the smaller businesses that are getting it. Walmart and Costco, they, they can afford to give out um, masks. They can get, a, they have uh, the cleansing for the hand right oh, at yeah. the door. They have, it there. they have it all there so that they can but follow. You don't, it's up to you to use it. Well, no, it, they've got signs in the, the, you have to use it now. I um, I went oh, yeah. to the hairdressers the other day, and I couldn't get in without using the sanitizer. And so because of this new virus that's coming in, they're really getting worried now. Really and truly, uh, they they are just trying their best. They had, the, the last yeah. time they had anything like this was uh, they knew nothing back in the 1900s exactly. when they had exactly. the Spanish flu, they called yeah. it. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to um, Todd about that. I wanted to talk to him about Aaron O'Toole. Uh, Peter McKay was kind of my wish for the leadership of the Conservative Party. I don't know anything about Peter O'Toole, and uh, I would like to know more about him. He's the leader of the Conservative Party. Mm-hmm. What's he like? What's his plan? What does he want to do? I don't know why Todd didn't, because I, I have an email from his uh, secretary yep. saying he knows. And well, I've been watching the board, and it hasn't lit up, so. Yeah, yeah, and so. And I did try to get him, but. we got five minutes. I think uh, I would just like to read out of our, our okay. handy-tandy book here about um, Ruth Oridzuk. Oridzuk. Ruth Oridzuk. And Ruth, who was uh, Sodergren, was born in 1939 on a homestead in the area of St. Edward in northern Alberta. In fact, it was her father who delivered her, the second of his four girls. The family moved to Prince George in 1944, and she began grade one in central Fort George. It was her teacher, Mrs. Irene Moss, who started Ruth on her love of learning. Ruth was in grade three when they moved to Chief Lake Road area when her and her siblings attended the Chief Lake School, a one-room log building for grades one to eight. Those those rooms were so stinky. Oh, those, those, <laughs> that's what, there was tons of those little schools all over the place because uh, they were the, easy access for yeah, in that area. And I mean, in the winter, yeah, nobody bathed except once. They were pretty smelly when I remember it anyway. <laughs> because of the distances involved in their farming community at Pilot Mountain, her father and other neighbors successfully lobbied for the establishment of a local school. Ruth and all the children from grades one to eight chose to new, name the new school the Pilot Mountain School. 
Ruth said, I loved growing up in the uh, the area. Summer was barefoot time and playing in the bush, making free- tree forts and just having fun. We saw the occasional bear, but we weren't afraid. It was all natural part of life. We didn't have many material things, but we didn't seem to need or want them. We were happy children. I finished grade 9 to 12 at Prince George Senior Secondary in Prince George, and that meant living in the dormitory. At first, it was a cultural shock right down to the clothing and having a house mother who made sure everyone behaved. We didn't just sleep there. We had to help keep it clean and help with some of the uh, food preparation, just like at home. The boys were on one side of the dorm, and the girls were on the other. The mandate was that never the twain shall meet. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't always work. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I I did not make friends easily, but as time went by, I made lifelong friends, many of whom are in my life today. The first dormitories in B.C. were being established in the mid-1940s under the leadership of Harold Moffat, Harold Stafford, and Ray Williston, and intended for out-of-town families. They were old, vacated army buildings that had been moved to the area of Edmonton Street and 7th Avenue. (laughs) They were considered both successful and affordable. After high school, Ruth met and married Stephen Orzizuk. Stephen was born in 1929 in a farming community in Alberta. He worked as a carpenter, and together they built their home on the highway, a home that was always filled with music from singing and accompanied by piano, accordion, and guitars. Sadly, Stephen passed away in 2013. They had four daughters, Jeanette, Rob Haynes, Orzuk, Carol, Edwin, Gramlich, Linda, George, McDonald, and Stephanie Floyd Spencer. They had four adult grandchildren, Charles Spencer, Sarah, Catherine, Samuel, and Caleb, Caleb Spencer. They all have two step-granddaughters and five step-great-grandchildren. Ruth was a stay-at-home mom until 1960 and then went to work for Prince George Citizen for a couple of years in the circulation department. The office was located at 353 Quebec and still uses linotype hot lead to produce the paper. Well, I don't think so anymore. No. Ruth said jobs were plentiful at the time, so I worked until I had another baby and then had to quit because at that time there was no maternity leave. I was actually hired by the citizen three times over the years, the last time being when I was 42 years old. At that time, the paper was being produced digitally as it is today. I worked in different positions at the paper and retired at 62 as the classified supervisor. I enjoyed my working career at the citizen and it was fast-paced, something different every day, and I worked with some wonderful people. Ruth has always been willing to give back to her community. When her girls were growing up, she volunteered with everything that they were involved in, from being a girl guide leader to 10 years with Jack Rabbit cross-country ski. She volunteered with the Canada Winter Games and Paranordic skiing. 
championship games. She is a board member and regular volunteer at the Mission Thrift Store on 3rd Avenue. Ruth is a part of the singing programs at her church, and she is a member of the Gospel Singers and Forever Young Chorus at Elder Citizens. She enjoys singing with the groups, plays the ukulele, and she is a bit uh, has an artistic side. She loves to travel both locally and internationally because her Christian face is a big part of life. She recently took a memorable trip to Israel. And we're just about out of time. <laughs> and so, um, Todd, you let us down, and uh, you're going to have to talk to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll get a hold of them. And then we'll talk to you in 2021. Yes, and everybody have a great New Year. Yes, and be safe. And For sure. follow the rules, folks. We don't know what we're doing. (laughs) Anyway, I hope uh, you've enjoyed us as much as we've enjoyed giving our show to you every every Tuesday. And we'll be back in 2021. Signing off. Senior Moments is a co-production of 93.1 CFIS-FM and the Prince George Council of Seniors. Senior Moments is produced by Sharon Hurd with production assistance from A.J. Fair. Theme music is courtesy of Golf Brooks Music. Sponsored by Riverbend Seniors Community, catch the rebroadcast of today's show tonight at 9 or replay past shows through the podcast at cfisfm.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.